Well, it is wonderful to be with you here today. We are continuing our series called Together, and today I want to share a message called Together We Experience Love, and I want to start by asking you where you were on a certain day in time. Now, sometimes we, we have these moments that um, we just, we know where we were on a particular day in time, okay? Um, I, I know it sounds strange, but I remember where I was when I heard that Elvis had passed away, okay? I was milking cows, just for your, that, that, that's kind of different. But where were you on April 23rd, 1985? April, okay, those of you that just said you're not born, we're, not just, we're just not going to talk to you right now. Um, I, where, where were you, you, you? No, no, just where were you? Just, you were in school, okay, all right. Um, I was in college at that point, um, but I had just, I, I had married not too long ago, the, the, just the woman of my dreams. Um, but where, I do, do, oh, cut it out. Uh, the... <laughs> But, but think about where, do you know where you were, April 20, and there's so many of you here that, that were not born yet. It, I am truly, I am truly saddened by how old I have become. Um, but on April 23rd, 1985, um, something happened that we look back on now and we realize that it was the biggest marketing failure of all time. That was the day that Coca-Cola announced that they had changed their recipe and were no longer offering Coke. They were offering New Coke. Okay? New Coke. Now, now I just want to give you, an, uh, just, just let you understand, okay? When you and I, when we prepare to do something, okay, we may ask a friend or two, Right? Right? We might ask a friend or two if we're making a big decision. We certainly, we, we talk to our spouse. But, but imagine asking 200,000 strangers what they thought, okay? And getting a very good response, all right? Coca-Cola, they were excited. The, the response from the taste tests were, were just overwhelming. They, this is a slam dunk. They spent $4 million dollars doing research on whether or not this would be a good decision. And all of their research, all of their studies showed that this was going to be a great idea. But then, after the announcement was made, there were loyal Coca-Cola drinkers that began filling their garages and their basements with with whatever kind of Coke they could get, the, the original recipe, filling their garages and their basements and rationing it out because they knew that it was going to be gone. And that decision by Coca-Cola sent an unintended message to the world. And 79 days later, Coca-Cola came to the realization that the decision that they had made, that they thought was the right decision, the unintended message that came from it was so big and so far off base from where they wanted to go, they decided to go back to the, the original recipe 
and they were left with $30 million of unsold new Coca-Cola. Now, let me tell you, that's a decision that's going to live in infamy. Now, that decision backfired. Let me, let me relate that to the church. I think that there are times in, in the church today where we send unintended messages. In fact, if, if you asked your friends, when I talk about the church, the church, that, that, it doesn't mean just Silver Creek Church, that means the church in general. What do you think of the church? What comes to your mind? It might be a very difficult conversation. Because they may not get positive images that come to their mind. But I want you to understand that since Jesus announced during his life that he would build his church, the church has been at times, sometimes worse than others, sending unintended messages. Which today, what I want to do is talk to you about what was God's intended message to send through His Son. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, beginning at verse 16. Follow along as I read. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that you may dwell in your hearts so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So here's the question. What is the message of the church? More specifically, what is the message that God intended the church to communicate? I believe that Jesus spoke very clearly about his message for the church when he said that he was come to seek and to save that which was lost. I believe that the message that the church should be communicating is that Jesus is still searching to to find those that are lost, to seek and to save those who are lost. I believe that God spoke very clearly through His Son Jesus in the Gospel of John where it says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I believe that is a clear message that should be communicated not only within the church but it should be the message that the church is communicating. So here's the question, what is the actual message that the world would say that the church is sending? Some of them might say to us, well, the church is full of self-righteous, hypocritical people. And they would not be wrong. They might say, the church just wants my money. They might say that the church is intolerant of 
anyone that they say is not perfect or anyone that is different than, uh, than, the, than what they project we should be. Some would say, you know, if, if that's what Christianity is all about, I don't want anything to do with it. Some would say that you've got to dress and speak and act and be good enough to be part of the church. In other words, God doesn't want you and neither do we. And if the church was not communicating that message, I think there'd be a lot more people in our world today that would seek out what they are looking for through the church, but that unintended message that is reaching them is causing them to not look to the church for the answer. It was Paul's desire that the Ephesians would understand and experience God's love He wanted them to know, to comprehend its dimension, how wide it was, how long it was, how high and how deep. The fact that this love goes beyond any human comprehension and understanding. He wanted them to be filled with this kind of love and and specifically saying that this is God's love and that indeed God is love. Notice how he puts them together into a group. He said, I want you to know this together as the Lord's people. He didn't say, I want you to experience this on your own. He said, I want you to experience this together as the Lord's people. Now, there might be some here that that when you came to Christ, you did so and you were all alone. And you prayed a prayer of, of, of repentance and you knew that God had forgiven you of your sins and you sensed the love of God. And, and, and I, I want that for everybody. But there is something about being together where we experience the greater dimension of God's love. That, that, that length, that height, that, that width of God's love for us. God doesn't just, or Paul didn't just say, I want you to have an intellectual experience of love. He said, I want you to experience love, and I want you to do it as the Lord's people. It wasn't just an intellectual revelation to them. You see, love is relational, and it is meant to be shared between people. It is to be experienced together. As I was working on my message this week, I, I recalled times when, when I really sensed as a young person, God moving in my life. And, and almost, almost without, without fail, <clears throat> I was a part of, of something else, some form of larger group of Christians, number one. But number two, God frequently used my understanding of love within my family context to communicate to me that he loved me. Do you get what I'm saying? When I I got married, when I asked my wife to spend the rest of her life with me, I began to understand that God loved me even in a way that I had not previously understood when we started having kids I understood what unconditional love was for the first time 
because when God put that little boy into our lives, who is our assistant pastor here at Silver Creek Church, and, and, and I held him, I knew what, what it, more about what it was that I, of how God loved me. I understood it. And now that we have our first grandchild, we understand an even greater depth of God's love. Love is relational. On Wednesday night of this past week, we started our, our midweek activities and, and our connect groups. We got started and we introduced those that are going to be facilitating groups. And then uh, we also, uh, we also walk through uh, the message from last Sunday because that's really what we're going to be doing in our connect groups is, is tying back to the message from Sunday. And, and I, asked, I asked a question. I said, uh, I was just wanting to connect with them about, about the value of a small group setting. And I, I asked them, I said, tell me something that God has done in your life through a small group setting. And I just opened it up to the floor, and, and there were lots of answers. And, and I started, because I, I was kind of, you know, as a pastor, you know, you, there's certain things that you want to hear, okay? But as they started saying what God had done through them, every single one of them said that God touched them through another person that was in that small group setting. And they were equating their own spiritual growth and development to that connection. I got to tell you, I was, I was amazed at, at, it wasn't just a high percentage. It was everybody. Everybody in that, in that room, everybody that was sharing, they all said exactly the same thing. God uses the context of our relationships in order to help us experience his love. I want to say that again because I think that's really important. God uses the context of our relationships in order to help us experience his love. Now, I have to tell you that God's plan, God's plan is love. That is God's plan. That is God's plan and how he reached you and I. That is God's plan for reaching the world. That is God's plan for us as the church. In Revelation, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, God's plan to store, restore sinful man to himself, which is what? Love. It predates creation. God's plan was love from before the beginning of, of the earth. Before creation ever happened, that was God's plan. So in other words, we realize that, that God has this plan for our lives. Now if we show up to church once a week and we sing a few songs, we listen to the sermon and we go home without any life transformation, we are missing the whole point of God's plan for our lives. Now I realize that's, that's a tough statement, but that, I believe that that is the truth. The church is not a community service organization. 
Now we saw a video that, that was really well done, I, I thought, really well done about the block party, showing the block party. 518 people, kids received backpacks and school supplies, over 4,000 pieces of clothing, uh, and that number can continue to go up because people can come back and get that clothing. I, it, was a, it was an incredible day of serving our community. We are not a service organization. We are a group of people called the church, and our message is that God loves you, and so do I. God's plan from the beginning is love. Listen to something that I ran across this week in preparation for my message. It says, if we gather here together with expectation, openness, and grace to let our guard down before God and other people, then we're getting somewhere. If we're willing to humbly recognize our need for help, for forgiveness, for a deeper kind of life, then we're reaching a level of vulnerability that allows us to be known and to know God and others authentically. If we're, and if we're willing to acknowledge our own needs and weaknesses, then we're able to receive support and encouragement when we need it and to offer acceptance and help others when they need it. And in all these things, we are then experiencing the transformative power of God's love in our individual lives and as a church body. Friends, I believe... I believe that when we walk in the love of God, that we are tapping into the very nature and heart of God himself. Are you with me? You hear what I'm saying? We are literally tapping into his nature and his heart. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. The apostle John says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. He is love. God doesn't merely love us or show us his love. He is love. We cannot separate him from his nature. He is love. To have a personal relationship with God through His Son Jesus Christ is to be in relationship with love itself. Love has been God's motivating factor from creation to revelation. It's not a side note. It's his nature, it's his plan for the world, it's the identifying lifestyle of those who follow him. There should be no misunderstanding God's message. It is simply his love. But that message has been diluted and polluted by us over the last 2,000 years. Things that we have said, things that we have done, as the church. Only when we begin to live in that genuine love of God with others will that message become clear to the world. 
Did you know that love, and when I say that, remember we're saying God is love, that love binds us together. I'm not, I'm not talking about touchy-feely sort of stuff, okay? God's love, it literally binds us as one. We cannot experience love if we allow it within the context of the body of Christ, if we allow ourselves to be isolated and alone. Did you get that? We cannot experience love as the body of Christ the way God intended us to if we allow ourselves to be isolated and alone from the rest of the body. By its very definition, love must be shared, it must be experienced with others. John 17, Jesus said this in verse 20 and 21, my prayer is not for them alone. He's praying for the disciples. He's praying for the 11. Remember, Judas has committed suicide. He said, I, I, I'm not praying for them alone, but I, I also pray also for those who will believe in me through their what? Their message. Okay, what's the message of the church? Jesus already understands that it's their message that is going to cause people to believe. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you, and you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus was praying for everybody that was going to hear the gospel through his disciples' message, and none of these people would actually see or meet or physically be able to sit and listen to Jesus preach. They would be relying on the message of the disciples, and if there was no love in that message, they would not know. If there was no unity, they would not know that their message was true about Jesus. Love was required. It's difficult for us to conceive of that kind of unity, even with those that we can see and touch. There have been churches that have been divided right down the middle because of the color of the carpet. Because of this style of chair or that style of chair. Do we have pews or do we have padded chairs? Do we sing hymns or do we sing contemporary songs? The church has been divided time and time again and that message comes through to the world loud and clear. They don't love each other. Why would I trust that they would love me? We live in a world of instant connection. Social media allows us the ability to converse with hundreds at one time, thousands at one time. Technology increases our ability to connect, but overall, we feel more alone. In 2018, there was a study done by the San Diego Union Tribune that found that 75% of Americans experience moderate to high levels of loneliness. And the study determined this. Loneliness was not, get this, was not caused by being alone. Do you get that? 
There are some people that you become energized when you are alone. It fills your tank, okay? Years ago, we, we had a, 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 were doing something on a Sunday afternoon with people, and, and I was at, it was a group situation, and I asked people, tell me about your favorite, what would a perfect Saturday be? Okay, perfect Saturday. And I said, oh, I, because I got, you know, I was included, so I said, my perfect Saturday is, you know, you wake up kind of early, make a big breakfast, everybody's up, everybody has breakfast together, and then we do something together. And we got to my wife, and she said, I'm alone all day. <laughs> I'm going to read a book. Nobody's going to talk to me. That's my perfect day. And then she would feel loved. Truly, she would feel loved, I think, by her family. We're all different. Some, some can, can feel, they, they can feel filled up even when they're not with people, but others can feel alone in a room full of people. There are some of you in this room right now, you feel literally all alone, and there are people within two inches of your elbow on every side, and you feel alone. Why? We're, we're, we, we're all different in that sense. But this, this study is a, in stark contrast to the relationship that Paul says that we can have in Jesus. He said, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's not a demonic force in hell that can separate you from that love. And that love is designed to be experienced together. If this is the kind of love that's available to us, if this is God's plan, if that kind of love binds us together, what can we do in order to experience that kind of love in the church? I'm going to end with three C's. I'm going to give them to you quickly. The first C is connection. I want you to ask yourself this question, where am I plugged in? Not just in the church, just in general. Where are you plugged in? Maybe it's a bowling league. Maybe it's crafting. Maybe you go to the gym. Maybe it's hunting. You, you, you're going to have multiple answers. But where are you plugged in? So many times I've had people in the church that have attended the church for years and they say to me, I just don't know anyone's name. Friends, we've got to get connected. We've got to get connected with other believers. There was a, 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 a sitcom and the, the lyrics to the theme song are, are just incredibly telling. It said, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see all, you can see our troubles are all the same. That sitcom took place in a bar, Okay? That ought to be the lyrics for the church. I want to I wanna, I wanna be in a place where everybody knows my name. I want to know that they're glad that I came. We work with our hospitality team so that when you walk in the door, 
you, you feel like they genuinely, they're like, hey, they're glad I came. You know what? As the body of Christ, we should all be that way. We should be learning one another's names. We should be welcoming each other. All Why? Because that's the love of God. I challenge you, look around yourself. Look around. Open yourself up. Reach out to others in the church. I, and and I, I said something similar to this earlier, but connection is the currency for our spiritual growth. Okay? It's the currency of our, for our spiritual growth. Number two is comfort. You may not be able to tell it, but everyone around you has experienced suffering. Are you with me? Everybody. See, but you don't know their name. Right? So you don't know their suffering. Which is part of why we need to get connected. But when others suffer, it is an incredible opportunity for us to bring comfort to them. It provides it provides an opportunity for us to care for them. We're on this spiritual journey together and when we care for them in their time of need and we bring comfort to them, it takes our relationship to another level, a level where we experience God's love. And that can't be left up to one person or two people or five people. It's gotta be a responsibility that the church as a whole buys into. And I want you to know that our culture uh, in America, but, but really in the Midwest and here in the upper Midwest works against us because our culture says that you've got to be able to do it on your own. In fact, if, you're, if you fall down, what do we say? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? We teach our kids we teach our kids. Why? Because we want our kids to be strong, right? We, we do. But in teaching them, we actually teach them to close themselves off, potentially, from other believers that could be a comfort to them. And let me tell you something. You, if you have not, you will go through something and you need the comfort of others who are in the body of Christ. And if you put up a no fishing sign or a no vacancy sign, they're not going to be able to do it. And sometimes we've got to work through those things. Number three is, oh, and by the way, Satan, Satan lies, okay? What, the scripture says that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. He, he's going to lie. He's going to tell, tell you that nobody cares. He's going to tell you that you are all alone. He is going to tell you that you are a failure, that nobody cares for you. Literally, I want you to understand that he tries to separate us from the love of God that we would experience by the people from the body of Christ. But what did Paul say? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Neither height nor depth. He talks about demonic forces. None of that can separate us if we won't, if we won't allow it to. But if we allow it to, it will. And number three is collaboration. Working together to produce create something of common purpose, meeting needs. Harnessing our abilities toward a common goal. You say, what, 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 what would that look like? That looks like a bunch of men from the church getting together and building a wheelchair ramp. It, it looks like serve week. 
Serve week was people raking wood chips at Cherry Creek Elementary. It was people going to the warming center and serving a meal and talking with those that struggle with homelessness. It was people that were folding clothes that would be given out to our community. It was people feeding other people at the Feeding America event. It was people getting together on a roof, pounding nails, working hard in the hot, sweaty sun. That's what it looks like. When the church begins to collaborate together. And when the church collaborates together. Okay. When the church collaborates together. I, I'm, I'm telling you that I've seen this from my observation. That when we collaborate together. The church is energized. The Sunday after we do something big in this. I'm telling you. People are excited. Why? Because they've been serving. They've been loving. And it it energizes the church. You show me a church without energy, I'll show you a church without love. You show me a church that loves, I'll show you a church that's got energy. Because they're energized by the spirit and presence of God. John the Apostle in 1 John 3.18, he said, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. Now, I'm a words of affirmation guy, okay? So my wife is not hurting to hear the words, I love you, okay? But she wants, she wants a little, you know, buy me something. She wants action, okay? Buy me something. Words, talk is cheap, okay? <laughs> talk is cheap. Buy me something, honey. If you really love me, put those words to good use. Okay, stop by the jewelry counter. Get me a little something sparkly. Don't love with words, okay? Just with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I've spoken truth to you today. I've spoken it. In 1985, Coca-Cola had a messaging problem, okay? But I want you to get something. Some of you might say, well... Pastor, you know, it's 2,000 years. The church has been sending out the wrong message. I don't think we're going to overcome that in one night or in one day. In 1985, Coca-Cola made the, the biggest marketing blunder on the face of the earth. In the last 24 hours, there are 2 billion Coke products that have been consumed. 2 billion in 24 hours. I think they've overcome their messaging problem. And I believe the church can do it. And I don't believe we need a marketing company to do it. I think that we just need the people of God to rise up and to, and to literally be who God created them to be. To love God and to love people. If the church will live out this message, the world will know indeed that we are his followers and they'll know it because it's his love that is shining through us. So let's connect with people. Let's comfort people. Let's collaborate together on how to serve other people to love them and meet their needs. Amen? Amen. Anybody want to be a part of the church? Come on, let's stand up. Come on. Come on. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray for a spirit of truth 
to rest upon your children. I pray for a spirit of love to overflow upon them. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would move in us and that we would experience your love to the greatest degree possible, that we would know how high and how wide, how long and how deep your love is for us, and that we would be able to share it one with another, and that the world would know that you are God, and the world would know that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, I pray your blessing on your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, say amen.